Hi, I'm Clay Smith, the lead pastor at Alice Drive Baptist Church in Sumter, South Carolina. A lot of times we talk about angels, it's a lot rarer to talk about demons. Are they real or are they just the subject of bad horror movies? Let's explore the answer together as we join this worship service already in progress. Good morning, Alice Drive. It is really great to see all of you here this morning. Thank you for coming. I want to say hi to everybody watching online. Hi to everybody at Pacala Church. Now, before I begin the message, uh, I know a lot of you have been thinking about the coronavirus this week. Uh, and uh, we have elected to go ahead and have services because there are no confirmed cases in our county. And uh, what we do here is important. It matters. This is as important uh, as what happens at Toomey Hospital. And so we want to continue to have worship. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like in the days ahead or the weeks ahead, but as long as it's possible, we're going to make sure that we give people an opportunity to worship together. Now, we are asking you to please limit your uh, interpersonal contact. So that's, that means a lot of air hugs. I've had several of you come up to me and say, uh, I'm not afraid. Hug me, Pastor Clay. And, and I get that you're not afraid but I'm afraid of you <laughs> for several reasons. No, I'm just, 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 just kidding. So uh, let's just respect each other that way. Uh, at the end of the service, we are going to take up our offering at the door rather than pass the plates. One less chance to spread germs. Um, our president has asked us to make this a day of prayer. And I think that that is something we should do. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7, verse 14, a powerful verse says this. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Let's take just a moment and ask God to heal our land. Father, we confess that we take life too lightly, and we assume that with our technology and our science, we are all powerful. This virus reminds us that we are not, that we live by your mercy and by your grace. And I pray for healing in our land, physical healing, spiritual healing. Use this time as a time when people will think seriously about their life and their relationship with you. I pray, Father, for those who are sick with this virus, that they would be healed. And I pray, Father, that those who will take care of them, nurses and doctors, medical technicians on the front lines, that you would protect them, you would encourage them. And I pray, Father, that, that you would stop this virus from spreading. You have done so before. I pray that you would again. Not only that the curve would flatten, but it would fall off rapidly. Bring healing and deliverance to this nation, and to this world. Now, guide us as we look at your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this series called Supernatural, and today we're going to ask, ask and answer the question, do I really have a demon chasing after me? When I was in middle school, I was exposed to some not very healthy teaching about demons, about Satan, and about the demonic. I was taught that um, demons were everywhere and demons caused evil and that at any moment a demon might jump out and grab me and, and torment me. 
Now, when you're 12, 13 years old, this is a very powerful thought. And I remember many nights going to sleep, praying to God that a demon would not get me. It wasn't until several years after that that I was taught a very important verse. It comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, which says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, that is, evil spirits, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, I knew, even at that young age, I had given my life to Jesus Christ, and I knew that I belonged to God. And when I read this, it suddenly right-sized my thinking. That whatever was out there that might threaten me, there was a power in me, Jesus Christ, who was bigger than whatever threatened me. And if you don't get anything else I say today, get that. That Jesus in you is greater than anything outside that threatens you. So when we talk about demons and when we talk about the devil, it's a little weird. Can we just acknowledge that? Most of you have seen some bad horror movie that depicts somebody being possessed by a demon. And after all, we know they can't put it on a screen in Hollywood unless it's true. So today, what we want to do is kind of unpack some of that. Now, if you're not a believer, this may sound a little weird. And you may wonder, well, why would Christians even believe in a devil, why would Christians even believe in demons? You might even think, well, that was just an ancient way of explaining bad things. Christians believe in a real devil and real demons because Jesus said they exist. Now, why should we trust Jesus? We figure that anybody who can predict their own death and resurrection knows more about the world than we do. And Jesus did exactly that. In the historical records of the Gospels, he predicted his death, he predicted his resurrection, and we figure he knows about these spiritual forces. Jesus spoke to demons, he delivered demons out of people, he spoke about Satan, he had an interaction with Satan in the temptation in the wilderness. And because Jesus said they exist and we have records of what he did, we believe them. So to set the stage for our teaching today, I want you to hear a history of the spiritual world. Just like the physical world has a history, the spiritual world has a history. And here's the history of our spiritual world, the supernatural world. You may have heard us talk about the three circles. Well, the first circle reminds us that God made a perfect world. After God made human beings, after he made all the world, do you remember what he said? He said it was very good. Sometime after God made a perfect world, Satan, who was an angel, rebelled against God. He decided that he did not want to follow the path of God, the way of God, so he rebelled. Revelation infers that a third of the angels joined Satan in his rebellion. And once Satan rebelled, he wanted the newly created human beings to join him in his rebellion. Why? Misery loves company. And so, Satan tempts Adam and Eve. He encourages them to disbelieve God, to doubt God, to think that God is against them, not for them. They believe it. They eat the fruit, the one command God gave them. And they enter Satan's rebellion with him. 
This leads us to the second circle. The second circle reminds us that our world is broken. Do I need to persuade you of that? Don't, don't all of you actually know and understand that we live in a broken and fallen world? And we have all kinds of ways of dealing with it. Some of us deal with it by denying it. Some of us deal with it by trying to fight it. Some of us deal with it by trying to put ourselves in some state of oblivion. But evil exists in this world. And because evil exists in this world, we have to then think about what form does it take and what proportion does it have. This is where a lot of people get confused. Satan does not have creative power. He cannot will more demons into existence. Satan himself is a created being. One of the reasons we see so many accounts in the ancient world of demon possession is because there were more demons compared to the number of people. But the number of demons has stayed constant. The number of people has increased. Therefore, Satan has changed his strategy and now he primarily works through the mechanism of human culture and he tells us four lies. And before I answer the question, do you have a demon after you? I want us to explore these four lies that Satan tells. And the first lie is the most obvious one of all, and that is Satan says, I'm telling you the truth. Don't you know this? As soon as somebody says to you, I guarantee you I'm telling you the truth, what do you do? Well, I hold on to my wallet because I'm pretty sure that whatever they're telling me, I can't trust all the way. This is what Satan does. Now, Jesus was teaching a group of people, some religious leaders challenged him. Real important to know, these are religious leaders. These are people who would have thought of themselves as being in a right relationship with God, as not being tempted by Satan. And I want you to hear what Jesus says to these religious leaders and what it teaches us about Satan and about his demons. In John 8, 44, Jesus says, you, talking to these religious leaders, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I want you to notice that Jesus begins by telling religious leaders that their father, their spiritual ancestor, is Satan. Satan loves to work in religious people. People who say what's important is our power, our rules. That's where Satan thrives. He loves to get in the middle of a church and cause ridiculous arguments about things that don't matter. He loves to create a sense of spiritual superiority where some people who call themselves believers have a sense that they are better than other people. He loves it when religious people look down on and judge other people. That's a, an environment that is ripe for Satan to work. Now, Jesus also tells us that Satan is a murderer. Satan does not want you to have a good life. 
If you're not a believer, Satan wants to destroy your life. If you are a believer, Satan wants to keep you from the life God means for you to have. And he tells us that Satan is the father of lies. That he deals in deceit. Satan and his demons are narcissists. They live for themselves. They do not care about you. And his native tongue is to lie. Have you ever noticed that people who keep lying pretty soon start to believe their own lies? That's what's happened with Satan and his demons. They believe their own lies. They no longer have the ability to tell truth and lie apart. And so when Satan comes to tempt you, and you all know what it's like to be tempted, right? When Satan comes to tempt you, at the heart of every temptation is a lie. What's the lie? Most often, it is lie number two. Lie number two is, I will take away your pain. If you will just do what I tell you to do, if you will give in to this temptation, I will take away your pain. Now, all of us as human beings experience pain. All of us have a personal pain management strategy, whether you're aware of it or not. And what Satan says to you and to me is if you will give in to this temptation, if you will click on that website, if you will go ahead and take that other drink, If you will go ahead and take more of the medication than the doctor prescribes, if you will go ahead and take that drug that that is illegal, if you will go ahead and take that fourth helping, if you will go ahead and lose your temper, if you will go ahead and consider yourself justified and it's okay for you to act this way, then you'll feel better. Satan says, do it my way, I'll take away the pain. There's a reason that the Bible says that sin brings pleasure for a season. Oftentimes, there is some pleasure. There's there's some sense of, ah, but what's it followed by? Guilt, remorse, more pain. Scott Peck, a Christian psychiatrist, wrote an amazing book about evil and the demonic called People of the Lie. And I love what he said. Easy is the language of Satan. Satan will always tell you, take the shortcut. Cheat. Don't tell the truth. Don't reveal. Don't be vulnerable. Now, Jesus made a radical claim also in John chapter 8. Just before the verse we we just read, In John 8, 32, he said a verse which we often know, but we really don't understand the power of. And the verse says this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Healing cannot happen in your life and in my life until we deal in the truth. And we have to start with the truth about ourselves. Now, human beings have all kinds of ways of denying the truth about themselves. We don't want to face it. For many of us, it is painful. It fills us with shame. We don't want to be that vulnerable or that open. I totally understand that. I'm like that myself. But if you've ever been in a 12-step program of recovery or ever done Celebrate Recovery, you know it begins with admitting the truth. The first step is to admit you are powerless. 
over the evil that grips your life. That is why starting a relationship with God begins with confessing your sins, confessing the reality. Now, confession, people often get misunderstanding about this. They think you have to go to a priest and confess. You have to confess to someone else. Confession is agreeing with God about the reality of your life. There is a general confession, God, I have messed up my life. There is specific uh, confession, which is, and here are the ways I have messed up my life. For Christians, it is important for us to have daily confession, a daily review of our lives to see where have we been checked out, where have we been in denial, where have we said yes to temptation. One of the bravest prayers we can pray as a believer is from Psalm 139, where it says, search my heart, O Lord, test me, try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. I believe we ought to pray that prayer every day. Now, I admit some days I don't pray that prayer. I forget. When I remember to pray that prayer and pause and listen, it amazes me what God brings up to the surface and says, did, did you realize you did this? And my honest answer is, well, no, I, I didn't even realize. I was clueless. Here's what I can say with assurance about every person in this room. There is some part of your life you're clueless about. If you need help in that, ask the people that love you to share with you what you're clueless about. Don't do that while I'm preaching, please. It's important for you to deal in the truth because that's where healing begins. Now, here's the problem. When you first start dealing in the truth, does the pain increase or decrease? It increases. That's why you don't like to do it. That's why Satan keeps whispering to you the easy way is not to admit it's even there. In a great many ways, Satan's lie that he will make your life easier, that he will take away the pain, leads us to his third lie. And that is, you need to be afraid. You need to be afraid of pain. You need to be afraid of the truth. You need to be afraid of me. You need to be afraid of demons. You need to be afraid, let it paralyze you. Be afraid that God does not really love you. Be afraid that God doesn't really have something good in mind for your life. Be afraid that you are the exception to for God so loved the world that what God really meant was for God so loved the world except you. That's what you need to fear. Satan wants you to believe that he has a power greater than the power of God. Satan wants you to believe that demons can destroy you. So I want you to hear 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, written by John, one of Jesus' friends. Profound truth. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Evil, Satan, demons cannot stand love. And that is why when Jesus came, God's love in flesh, Satan set out to destroy him. 
Satan thought, if I can destroy this one incredible, perfect example of a life, this God in flesh and his threatening love, if I can destroy him, then I win. And you know what happened, right? Satan crucified Jesus Christ, but it was our sins that put him there. And Satan thought he had won. But on resurrection day, when Jesus comes alive and comes out of that tomb, what is clear beyond comparison is that love triumphed over evil. Love wins. It drives out fear. Now, I look at our country, our community. I see a lot of evil, don't you? And at the root of that evil is a world that does not know it is loved. In our community, the root of that evil, the evil that's just outside those doors, is filled with people who do not know they are loved profoundly by God. To love profoundly, you must be loved profoundly. To overcome evil, there must be profound, intense love. Love is sacrifice. Love is devotion. Love is selflessness. And our goal, what God lays out for all of us, is to be so filled with his love that we are building out a completed life. And God wants to do this for every person on the planet. God wants for every person on the planet to be made perfect in his love, whether we are talking about a child in Africa who is hungry or a child in Hollywood who has everything they can imagine, whether we're talking about Kim Jong-un or we're talking about Kim Kardashian, God wants every life to be made perfect with his love, including yours. when I think about everything that's going on in our country with the coronavirus, and I know this sounds trite and trivial, but it's not. I believe what will help us through this crisis more than anything else is love. And I know that our country does not know how to do it. We've lost that. But that is why God has put us, his people, into this moment of time so that we can rise up and we can say we do know how to love and we want to share that love. Early Christians, when there were plagues in their cities and people with wealth and power would flee the city, early Christians would stay behind and they would minister to the least of these. And they were not afraid of dying because they had a power in them that had already defeated death. I don't know what that will look like for us, but I know I want us to be a church in this time that will profoundly love our community, that will say we will care for sick, we will check on each other, we will love our neighbors. Because God 
God's love is in us, and it drives out fear. Now, there's one last lie that Satan wants you to believe, and it may be the most devastating one of all. Satan wants you to believe that you cannot win. Satan wants you to believe you have to stay defeated. Satan wants you to believe that your addiction cannot be conquered, that your sin cannot be forgiven, that you are not smart enough, you are the wrong race, you're the wrong gender, you got too many issues, that you cannot deal with reality, that this is just who you are and you have to accept it. Satan wants you to believe you cannot win. And so I want to share with you one of the most powerful things Jesus ever said. And if you have a Bible and you're comfortable underlining it, you ought to underline this verse, John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? First of all, he says, I'm telling you all this so that in me you'll have peace. Jesus is very precise in his language. A lot of times we talk about having Jesus in us, and Jesus does live in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here he changes it, doesn't he? And he says, when you're in me, in other words, when you take your little life and you put it in Jesus Christ, Jesus takes it and says, okay, now for evil to get to you, it has to come through me. Then Jesus goes on and he says, in this world you will have trouble. This is one of the reasons I trust Jesus. He always tells us the truth. You're going to have trouble. Anybody here have trouble? Yeah, every one of us. Maybe not right now, but you will. You're going to have some trouble. You are going to be tempted. There are probably going to be moments in your life you're going to feel the presence of evil and it's going to frighten you. But here's what Jesus wants you to remember that you need to have courage. You need to have courage because he has overcome the world and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So here's the most important thing you can know about Satan and his demons. They lose. They lose. They don't win. So when we talk about the three circles, God made a perfect world. That world got broken. You remember the third circle, which says Jesus came to redeem the world and to restore it back to God's original design. And that means you who were made in God's image and then you broke your own life, you are part of Jesus' redemption plan. If you choose to participate with Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to be working in your life to restore you to who I made you to be. So what do we do? Well, if you're a Jesus follower, I want to remind you, a demon can only act around you, not in you. The space in your life that a demon wants to occupy, if you're a Jesus follower, has already been occupied by Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. Remember that a demon only comes into a person's life by invitation. Are there such people in the world? I believe there are. 
We read enough stories. We see enough in this world to know that there are people who have willingly given their lives over to evil and they do not care. So do you have a demon after you? I don't know. Maybe. Sometimes. Probably not as much as some people want you to believe. Probably not as often as Satan wants you to believe. But whether a demon is after you right now or sometime in the future, if you have Jesus, you have the comfort of knowing that demon cannot win. So here's the most important thing you can do. Fill your life with Jesus. Fill your life with his love. Fill your life with Jesus and fill your life with his love. So how do you do that practically? If evil is pressing in on you, pray, yes. Ask other people to pray for you, yes. Make sure you are opening up your life to God's love. You know, this is not usually something we do in our prayer time, our quiet time. And I think we need to. We need to pray a simple prayer. You might want to write this down. It goes like this. Father, let me know you love me. Because we forget, don't we? We forget. And I don't know about you, but most of my prayers go something like this. Lord, praise you. You're great. You're wonderful. Thank you for being a good God, the things you've done for me. Uh, forgive me, Lord. Here, I kind of review my life. Here's some things I did wrong yesterday. And uh, okay, God, uh, help my kids. Uh, help me be a better husband. Uh, take care of these needs. Help me be a better pastor. Uh, two or three things about the church. God, take care of that. Amen. Where in that prayer did I pause and say, God, just let me know that you love me? Where in your prayers do you just pause and say, God, let me know you love me? God wants to pour reminders of his love into your life and into mine. Be filled with his love. One of the things that's important for us to do as a church is be a loving church. That's why I hope you pray for our church that nothing will interfere in our ability to love each other like Jesus loved us and love that world out there. Hey, and if you're not a believer in Jesus, I get this is all kind of really weird stuff. But I just want to ask you, what if it's true? What if everything I've said today actually is real? See, then you face a very challenging choice. You can do life on your own and put yourself and your soul at risk. Or you can do life with your Savior. Which way do you want to do life? Thanks for joining us for this service from Alice Drive Baptist Church. Alice Drive is one church with two locations. We have a location at the corner of Wise Drive and Loring Mill Road in Sumter. That location has services at 8.30 on Sunday morning, which is a traditional service. Two contemporary services, one at 9.45 and one at 11. And then a service on Monday night for people who can't make it on Sunday. And that service is at 7 o'clock. We also have a location called Pocala Church. It meets in Pocala Springs Elementary School on Bethel Church Road in Sumter. That location has two services at 9.45 and 11. 
I hope we will see you in person very soon. I'm Clay Smith, the lead pastor at Alice Drive Baptist Church in Sumter. Check us out at alicedrive.org. God bless you. Hope to see you soon.